a store crash. If you weren't watching the live stream, uh, we had an epic meltdown of the basic functionality of our e-commerce site. Never a good thing, especially during a live drop. Uh, I'm going to dig into why this happened and hopefully frame it as a bigger problem with modern life in general. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Also, I finally have checked off one suggestion I keep getting from you guys. I have led, uh, sorry, I've read The Last Ronin, uh, the Ninja Turtles new comic, and I'm going to give you my thoughts on it. And eventually I will watch Psycho Gorman and Kung Fury and every other thing that you guys have suggested. It just takes me several months to queue one of these things up. So uh, welcome to Distazapod. Let's dig in. So let's start at what happened last night for those who weren't there live during the Twitch broadcast and who didn't see everything that transpired. Essentially, we opened the store at 8.30 and immediately links were not working. You could sort of see the new items. You were unable to click on anything to bring you directly to that item to check out. Now, some people quickly just looked under search tabs and uh, the sort of links that are at the top of the website and were able to sort of transact business as usual. But for whatever reason, the homepage was sort of frozen in time. As the minutes ticked by, we also found out that the discount, uh, the sorry, discount for capsules was not working. It was only being applied to the first one. Um, this is, you know, a uh, pretty much a nightmare scenario for anybody that works in e-commerce or has done live drops or things like this. After a few minutes of tinkering around, I made the call to just simply shut the store down. Uh, we essentially threw out the theme, the sort of front end facing, uh, what you see when you sign on to a site. We trashed it, we reloaded a blank template, and then Nikki and I slowly rebuilt each of the crucial SKUs that uh, were sort of relevant to what was happening for that sale. Um, if you go to the store now, it's very bare bones. The normal flourishments and graphics uh, with the exception of the web banner, are not there. Um, and you only see immediately the the items that were sort of highlighted for uh, this Alexander drop. After we rebuilt the store, which took, I'm guessing, about 15 minutes, 20 minutes, we went back on Twitch, went back on the Instagram Live, explained the situation, and uh, gave everybody a couple minutes to queue up, and then opened the store again. And uh, from there, it seems to have been business as usual. Full disclaimer, I have not yet dug into DMs or emails or personal messages. Uh, I don't know people's individual issues with the store. I will do that later today. I'd like to get a little coffee flowing through my veins first. Um, so there may be sort of bigger stuff that I have to tackle, but that's the basic uh, events as they transpired. Also, because a small portion of our sort of customers were able to check out on you know without an issue I am honoring those orders um, nobody has to sort of have canceled orders and go back and do something you know do, redo their cart the archive crates of which there were only eight 
and the Hypernite Eel, of which there were only 11, have obviously sold out, you know, within the first minute. Um, I am honoring those people that were able to check out. Uh, it's not great that uh, we had issues here, but um, I'm, you know, I'm making the call to, to keep those transactions. Luckily, the, uh, the bigger item that I think most people were gunning for, the sort of spring Frankenslice bags, we had half of the inventory still available um, for the sort of relaunch of the store, the re-relaunch, and, um, you know, people were still able to get that item when we opened it back up. It's a, it was a particularly baffling event because Nikki and I sort of test everything and uh, check each other's work for one or two days leading up to a sale and everything was working prior to uh, this going off. Now, the likely culprit here is this new auction feature that I was testing out and that's been shut down. I will figure out a way to bring that back at some point because I do think the idea is very good and it could end up being another way for us to funnel more money into unlocking more and more new styles of figures. Um, but that's likely the culprit. And to dig into why that is uh, requires not only a bigger exploration of Shopify as an e-commerce platform, but also uh, this sort of modern era. And really one of the bigger problems that Americans have. And uh, this all hopefully ties together because it is incredibly relevant to uh, why this happened and also why sort of technology and modern life just leaves you feeling, you know, completely unsatisfied and uh, frustrated most of the time. So to give you guys a little bit of a bigger picture, we use Shopify for e-commerce. Um, we sort of had to switch to Shopify for e-commerce because uh, for a very long time there was no integration with Facebook or Instagram with any other platform. Shopify was the only place you could go to. Um, integrating with Facebook and Instagram means that you can sort of have a post on Instagram you know, the, the ones you see where there's a little little toggle and you click on it and it brings you right to somebody's e-commerce store. Potentially a very useful uh, sort of feature that was previously only available on Shopify. They have now rolled in um, what looks like another five or six other platforms that utilize this integration. But uh, for a very long time, we used Limited Run, which is a very small operation and it's an e-commerce platform designed for people in independent music and bands and limited run was a fucking awesome website uh, or platform we loved using limited run but because of this goddamn integration we had to switch over to this bigger more corporate uh, e-commerce platform in uh, 2019 Shopify generated 61.1 billion dollars billion with a B so this is an enormous, enormous multinational company. Uh, to give you some perspective, you cannot run a comprehensive sales report on Shopify. Their native platform, their sort of bare bones, quote unquote, free offering, does not allow you to do very much at all. 
it limits the numbers of SKUs you can have, it limits, it limits the amount of transactions you can have per month. Um, and this plays into the sort of free-to-play, quote-unquote, problem of modern life I'm going to get to in a moment. Uh, but this is a, a service that is incredibly threadbare. So how do they sort of make money and how do you as a customer of Shopify, how are you able to do your business and, and have all the features you need to just basically run things? Well, you have to go to their app store and their app store is populated by a cottage industry of third-party feature creators or app creators. And you don't know who these third-party people are and you don't know what country they're based in. You don't know how their help desks work. You don't know if uh, their apps sort of work with the other apps you have on your store or if they're gonna cause glitches or things like that. Now, I'm gonna give Shopify the benefit of the doubt and I assume that there is some basic level of you know, checking these apps for malware and functionality that probably happens before they put them in their app store, but I, I can't guarantee that. I don't know that. These apps usually also add quite a bit to your bottom line. Uh, this auction app we tested out will cost me $30 a month if I want to continue using it. Uh, I think I have probably about a dozen different apps running on Shopify just to give it basic functionality. And they all range from between 10 or 15 bucks to $30. So you stack that across a dozen different third-party apps on your Shopify, and it starts to uh, become very clear that um, it is not free to play at all. The other problem is there are often multiple apps that do the same thing, and you kind of have to test out a couple of them to find one that's the right fit. This was the case with the auction. Uh, the auction software that was running when we opened the store was not the first one I tried. I downloaded the third-party app. Uh, I tried to sort of build the SKU and uh, work out how this would look. And it was a very, very clumsy app. It required you getting in touch with the third-party app designer to get basic functionality to happen. If you guys have ever used a help desk or a virtual chat for anything, you know it's an incredibly inefficient way to sort of accomplish much of anything. And so I deleted that, that first try at an auction, downloaded a second auction app, and that one seemed uh, a lot more uh, cohesive and easy to understand, so I went with that one. Now unbeknownst to me, and I, I haven't verified this, but this is my assumption, some of the code from that first auction app was likely still embedded in the back end of our store. And that is likely, my hypothesis, of that is likely what prevented people from being able to click through uh, the images they were seeing to the actual item and purchase it. Now, I don't think that this is an issue with just Shopify. I think this is actually a bigger cultural issue. And what it comes down to, to me, if we're looking at the superstructure here, not just the events of last night, it is that um, we're the richest nation on earth and we have an obsession with cheap goods and paying as little as possible. And that, you know, undeniably gets us into a lot of trouble for many, many reasons. But one of the sort of more modern iterations of this is this idea of free to play 
which actually means pay to win. And if there are any gamers out there, um, you know that games that are free to play, that's just the sort of, <laughs> that's, that's how they get you. And then it quickly becomes pay to win. And there's any number of games out there that uh, have this phenomenon happen. You know, Fortnite's a good example. Call of Duty is particularly egregious at this. And this is the basic model of newer companies within our economy. They're not actually providing a competent, solid base product. They're providing something that requires downloadable content or third-party apps. They're, you know, they require the user to spend additional money and time to build out something that actually is functional. It's, an, it's a bait and switch. This is how most modern companies and most tech companies run. The very basic premise of uh, capitalism and entrepreneurship is that you provide a product that works and your company has profitability. If you look at us today, neither of those are requirements. You actually only need to have venture capital. You just need a big enough cushion for whatever service you're providing from, you know, the Sequoia Group or Fidelity Management and Research. You just need a, an accumulation of other people's wealth that's large enough to shield you from any backlash for your product not actually working or any quarters where you don't turn a profit. If you ever want to have yourself laugh, look at Uber and their reporting because they have billion-dollar losses every year. This is not a service that's profitable. Turning a profit used to be the absolute cornerstone of running a business. Uh, now, a lot of businesses don't turn a profit in their first year. Knights of the Slice did not turn a profit in its first year. I lost almost $4,000 in the first year of Knights of the Slice. But I'm now here in year six, and Knights of the Slice is thankfully a profitable venture. That is no longer the concern for the majority of new businesses. You don't actually have to turn a profit. You just need to be getting that VC money. And for me and my immediate surroundings, there's there's no bigger demonstration of this completely backwards way of running a business or thinking than Shopify. Um, you know, the these lessons always are a little more vivid when there is something in your material reality that can kind of reflect this. But uh, I see it there, it's laid out, there, right in front of me. So all that aside, what does this mean for our store? What does this mean for you guys? What can you do to help this bigger problem? Uh, for us, obviously, I'm I'm already looking at other uh, shopping engines. Limited Run, unfortunately, still does not have the Instagram or Facebook integration, probably because they are a small, you know, company. I, I don't... I would have to do some research, but I don't believe they've taken VC money. They seem almost entirely focused on helping independent bands and musicians uh, have e-commerce solutions. And I really liked working with Limited Run, and their their sort of support service was fantastic. Really great, great people that were very helpful. I'm going to see if I can dislodge ourselves from Shopify and kind of find a new engine um, and one that provides everything that I need. The problem is uh, this operation is, and still continues to be, 
you know, laying tracks down as the train is coming. They have very, very little time in between drops to do anything as dramatic as change our storefront completely. Um, this will be on my priority list. I do not see us being able to extricate ourselves from this Shopify monopoly anytime soon. So it's just going to have to be uh, business as it is. I hope in the next day or two that I can at least uh, update the site and get it looking like it used to look, um, have a little continuity there. We'll, we'll, we will see. What can you guys do in the bigger sense to help this problem we have with this obsession with cheap goods? Uh, you know, I think just be, be conscientious of this. If you poison yourself with, uh, you know, any news over the past couple weeks, uh, everybody seems completely fixated on the cost of a hamburger and that $15 minimum wage would rise the cost of a hamburger by a few cents. My God, could you imagine such a thing? We need to, you know, all do our best to get away from this idea of paying as little as possible for every single good and service. Uh, the empire is crumbling because of this built-in instinct Americans have. We have to get away from it. We have to be okay with paying a little bit more for things. And I know it's I, you know, it's terrible to say that as many people are struggling. But uh, it's all it's a cyclical problem. It keeps feeding into itself. If you've ever visited any independent artist sites that happen to use garments from union labor, you know their t-shirts and their hats are much more expensive. And uh, everybody's knee-jerk reaction to something like that is, oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pay $70 for a sweatshirt that should be $30. But you don't realize by buying those cheaper goods that are imported from Bangladesh, wherever else, that uh, it actually leaves you feeling kind of hollow because whether or not you know it subconsciously there is an exploitation there i recently bought a hat and an enamel pin from a popular podcast website uh not that i particularly like to wear enamel pins and i didn't really need a new hat but i wanted to uh sh show some support there and their goods were made by union people the hat cost i think almost 50 dollars the enamel pin was quite pricey uh, but it proudly says union made in the USA and uh, that buying experience was a lot more fulfilling than uh, you know any of the uh, sort of nameless graphic tees you get in a loot crate and yes as I say all this I understand and acknowledge I'm a complete hypocrite because my man my action figures are manufactured in China uh, totally uh, dead to rights there. I am a creature that was born in the era I am born in, and I utilize the tools that are in front of me. But if we can all sort of try to raise our consciousness just a tiny bit, and maybe understand if we pay 50 cents more for a hamburger, uh, somebody might be making a little bit more money every hour for their labor. Now, if any of what I've said is even remotely interesting and you'd like to sort of do a deeper dive, I've got a suggestion for you that will help lay out um, an emotional history of all these things.
So where can you learn more about what I've been talking about? Uh, there's actually a really fantastic documentary series, and it is available for free on YouTube, and it is by the uh, pretty great Adam Curtis, a BBC documentary maker. And the name of this series is Can't Get You Out of My Head, An Emotional History of the Modern World. There's six episodes. I believe each of them are about an hour and change. Uh, it is a long journey. It is an incredible journey. This is a, a highly important documentary series. And uh, maybe it's best to just put on in the background as you work. Adam Curtis is a fantastic filmmaker. He, he, the old footage he finds uh, for these programs are just amazing. Um, he also uses a lot of a lot of different types of music. You'll hear a lot of Nine Inch Nails. You'll hear uh, polka. It's, it's really fantastic. A, a very pleasing watching experience. But what Adam has laid out in this film is uh, why we are where we are today and why it generally feels pretty bad for everyone. And it's uh, probably the starkest and truest thing I've consumed. It, it really crystallizes exactly what are the events that have sort of put us in a place where generally most people feel pretty alienated and all the technology we have doesn't really work the way it should and uh, is kind of an unpleasant experience. Uh, to contrast, when you were a kid you thought we would have flying cars now. Instead, the, the height of technology is just that you spend 30 minutes scrolling through different streaming platforms that don't work with one another to try and find a film that you want to watch. And that is actually the picture of the modern technocracy. It's, it's not that anything is easier, it's that the choice is unlimited and nothing actually works with each other. I guess the basic crux of this film is it's really about like individualism versus collectivism. Individualism is really like probably the founding idea of America, you know. Uh, each individual person is uh, an island unto themselves, nobody can interfere with that. And collectivism of, uh, you know, uh, communism or China or whatever, wherever else people sort of band together, lose identity for the greater good of, uh, you know, the, the bigger citizenry. And Adam does a marvelous job of uh, showing the faults in both of those uh, ways of thinking. And uh, it's really, this is, I wouldn't say this is radically realigned my thinking, but I would say that this has put a, a very sharp focus on so many things that I was thinking and, and couldn't sort of articulate myself because they are much bigger ideas and they are part of, uh, you know, a superstructure, a, an entity so large it can't be seen and can barely be comprehended. One very important part in the series about halfway through uh, explains very concisely why things are made in China, why things aren't made in the U.S. anymore. And, uh, you know, it is almost just incidental, the decisions that were made that led us to that path. But, um, you know, there's a lot of people that ask about manufacturing action figures in the U.S. and have aspirations to do that and, and want to investigate that. But you really have to understand the history, uh, you know, of 
the last 40, 50 years, manufacturing in the U.S. has been completely atomized. It hasn't been, you know, exported to other countries. It's been completely broken and shattered with a sledgehammer. You know, there are no remnants to pick up and sort of staff people in. This is this is a sort of extermination of a way of life that um, I don't honestly I don't think can come back. It also lays out a very good sort of history of the last fifty years. A lot of things that you know I did not understand uh, completely. I knew that communism fell. I didn't understand the particular circumstances of that changeover happening. I knew there were revolutions in China. I didn't understand the sort of figureheads that were pushing those changes. And as I watched this, I realized how um, not just uh, lackluster my education has been in these matters from traditional schooling, but also that it is is—it's sort of, uh, uh, you know, these are forbidden topics that I was purposefully never taught and that were never sort of laid out in school. But these are the most consequential events uh, that have happened in the modern era. And I knew very little about any of this. I could recite all the U.S. presidents in song because that was taught and beaten into us many times over. Uh, I know the Pledge of Allegiance because that was uh, integrated into daily life at school. Um, but I could not tell you uh, the majority of the events that happened in this film. And uh, I think that that's intentional, and I think all of us should be aware of that. The film also uh, sort of ties in nicely to my idea of us, the richest nation, being obsessed with cheap goods and the ramifications of that. I think it actually supports the arguments I'm making in the previous segment, uh, and I think you would agree too if you would only watch it. Why don't we sit next to each other on the couch, we'll keep our masks on, and we'll just hit play, and we'll see what happens. So in closing, I highly recommend, uh, actually all the films by Adam Curtis, they're all pretty great, but in particular, I think it's it's super important to watch, can't get you out of my head. Um, I said before that um, Feels Good Man is probably the best uh, sort of explanation for why we're in the situation we're in. And I think that that is still true. That is a really great slice of life. That's a great time capsule for this year, uh, for actually the last, I would say, five or six years. That still holds true. I would say that Can't Get You Out of My Head is probably the, the best clinical study of the symptoms that got us to uh, where we are today, where I feel that Feels Good Man is sort of Ironically, the kind of emotional study of it, even though, you know, that's in the title of the of the former. But um, two great films. I think they will crystallize a lot of things for you. Uh, but highly recommend Can't Get You Out of My Head by Adam Curtis. And also, if you haven't already seen it, despite my, you know, various demands that you do, um, Feels Good Man is also a, a good one to watch. And honestly, Feels Good Man is, uh, it makes you feel good. Adam Curtis's stuff makes you unfortunately aware <laughs> of the nature of the world and it can be a little heavy at times. But um, I would say these are required reading for Justazapod.
Finally, on a lighter note, I've taken your suggestions. Finally, for a piece of media, I bought The Last Ronin, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I have to tell you, I'm not a modern comic book reader. Um, I don't, you know, I haven't followed individual issues since the 80s, to be perfectly honest. Uh, maybe maybe early 90s with like Jim Lee and X-Men and, and uh, things like that. Uh, this was a fantastic book. And more to the point, this is essentially a relaunch that does it right. And largely it does it right because obviously the two creators are involved. Also, by the way, shout out to uh, patron uh, Mr. Schmalky. He has a variant cover of this comic. I saw that in the back. I wish I could have found his cover, but it was a, um, uh, I think it was a very specific comic store uh, on the East Coast, not the one I was at. But I will go ahead and say, you guys are right, this comic is fantastic. Um, now, if you had only ever seen the Ninja Turtle cartoon, and maybe played the arcade game, and then read this, this would seem like a very dark and violent, and um, out of out of character Ninja Turtle story. But if you've read any of the Mirage stuff, which is pretty brutal and bloody and violent, you would know that actually this is a continuation of the the sort of very first iteration of the Turtles as as they should have been. Um, I just I found it to be very well written. The art's great. It's easy to follow, and it has interesting twists on characters that we've seen a thousand times over. You know how many different iterations of Ninja Turtles have there been? It's it's very tough to offer something new there. And the story sort of picks up in the future, and we see what's become of, you know, the, the four turtles that we love so much. And uh, we get to see, like, some old friends, but really, like, the offspring of old friends. And uh, I just thought it was fantastic. It's really well done. I don't think it will ever <laughs> be a film or a cartoon series. I think Nickelodeon is really needs to continue to push Ninja Turtles as a kid's brand after their, you know, hefty investment in it. But a very, very well done story. And, uh, you know, very difficult to do, to add something new to a story from, what is it, 30 years ago? 25 years ago? To, to find a, a way to kind of modernize that, extremely difficult to do. You could argue that the Star Wars films, the new trilogies, really failed to deliver a satisfactory experience of, you know, basically skipping 30 years and then showing us characters that have aged and making us not feel bad about it. Uh, This book really does that. It is a, a good example of how you tell a new story within, you know, framework that was put down many decades ago. Um, I also think of, like, Blade Runner 2049 as being an example of doing that really well. But there are very few examples of sort of soft reboot or sequel that spans many generations later that actually uh, is able to do it well. And this is one of them. So thank you guys very much for the recommendation. Uh, I did also get the uh, Kevin Eastman black and white cover variant, which just looks, you know, like it came right out of the 80s. Um, from their original publishing, and uh, it's fantastic. So 
very good book. Thank you for the recommendation. I would also recommend other people do it. And I might actually do something crazy and follow this series uh, as they come out. I, I can't tell you the last time I did that with a comic, but um, just might do it here. So thank you. Thank you to everyone for listening to my diatribe and my uh, greater critique of society as a whole. Um, despite all of this, the sale actually did really well. That was a very, very good sale for us. Um, and that's a testament to you guys. Everybody was really cool and, uh, you know, hung in there. And the vast majority of people understand these glitches happen. So thank you guys for that. Thanks for still turning out. And by the way, the blind bag uh spring drops um there are still a couple in stock so i think despite all the hiccups we actually did a good job uh inventory wise with that item so um by the time this is posted those might be gone but if you missed out you could still have a chance at them and and those are fun uh builds that uh i think people will really like so uh thank you again hopefully we'll have some of these issues knocked out before the next sale uh, if you need to combine shipping or you have any general complaints or questions, email me directly, jesse at eerietheoryentertainment.com. If you do email me, please include uh, your address and any order numbers for the relevant issues you're raising, uh, especially with combining shipping. I need to know those order numbers. It takes me a while to look them up by name, and that's not the quickest way to do it. So. Thank you guys, and uh, we'll see you at the next drop. Pizza out. Mm -hmm.